Noah Zender is a 22-year-old writer on Twitter, as well as a product manager at Paradox, a $1.5 billion startup that uses AI software to aid in the recruiting and hiring processes for companies. In this episode, we talk about what it means to think like a scientist, how you can use systems to enhance your decision-making, the power of productizing yourself by growing a personal brand, and why you should treat your life like a business. We also delve into the space of startups and startup culture, what being a product manager really means, and why Noah chose it as a career, and how someone else could get into product management. If you're interested in reaching out to Noah, you can find his information in the show notes below. Without further ado, let's get into the episode. Hey, Noah, how's it going, man? I'm good. How are you? Doing good, bro. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Of course. Of course. It's like, it, it feels so it feels so awkward since we were just like in natural conversation and then it's like, oh, how are you? I know. It's, uh, it's something to work on. Like, how do you start these things organically? Because we were just in a really cool conversation. So I'm excited to hop back into that. Um, but tell me like this past month, so we connected probably about a month ago, um, originally on Twitter and you've been growing a pretty decent amount. So tell me like, tell me some of the strategies that you've, you've been growing behind. Yeah. What, do you remember how many followers I was at? Like when we talked, I think you were at about 400. Okay. And I'm at like 900 now, I think. Yeah. Uh, my analytics have me like, I've over doubled my followers like just this month alone i think like the biggest thing is uh for my that's like helped i guess jumpstart my growth is like a coalition so i'm doing ship 30 right now so it's just like a group of people basically that are trying not everyone's like focused on growth and like growing a following specifically but everybody's focused on like writing like digital writing um so having that helped with like an initial growth at the beginning of this month. Um, most of my followers came from that. And then be, I, I leveraged that momentum and released like a Twitter guide. And it kind of went like, I don't necessarily want to call it viral because it only had like 400 likes and like retweets. Uh, but to me, that's like viral. It's like my, my, my most viral tweet. And I leveraged like a lot of that initial momentum uh, to gain more followers. Uh, and I've just really been focused on like putting out quality content. That's kind of like my three main things. I got you. And I could tell like through this ship 30, I read your atomic essays every day. Yeah. So for anybody that doesn't know ship 30 is uh, a writing cohort or a writing program by this pretty big influencer on Twitter named Dickie Bush. Um, he's like a huge advocate for the online writing space. And um, you basically put out an atomic essay, which is like a page long essay on a topic you're interested in, I believe, every, every day for 30 days, just to get you in the rhythm of writing. Um, I haven't done this myself, but now that we're talking about it, like, 
I'm interested in doing it because I feel like it really forces you to like flesh out your thoughts more and uh, really see like your depth of knowledge in certain certain categories. So what inspired you to like hop on that program? I've always been really bad at writing, like really bad at writing. It was never my strong suit in school. So I really just wanted to like, I guess, learn how to be a better writer. It's like interesting, right? Like I sit and I say like, I'm bad at writing. I really don't like writing. Um, but yet I'm like writing on Twitter every day. Uh, so it's like, it's a kind of counterintuitive in a way. I think it makes sense, dude. And I think it's really admirable that you are so open about that, that you feel that way. Cause it's like, most people have a ton of weaknesses. Like everybody has weaknesses. I have weaknesses, but we often ignore them. But if you can just lean into them and be like, I'm not good at this. I want to get better. Once you can knock off those weaknesses, like one by one, then you don't have any weaknesses eventually. Um, so I think it's really interesting. And this kind of ties into another point I wanted to talk about. So in our original conversation, um, we talked about studying physics and why that is important from like an entrepreneur creator perspective to think like a scientist. So I want, I wanted to go more into that. Like, what does that even mean? Like, what is thinking like a scientist mean? Yeah. Um, so one of the big things, like when you start to read physics is you realize that like all physicists think from first principles, right? They think from, from scratch basically. And they rebuild based on like, what are the fundamental things? So the theory of gravity, right? When Einstein is, is coming up with the theory of relativity, like you have to account for atoms. Like that's, you know, what creates mass. And so right. you, you realize that like physicists, they're, they're kind of like building um, foundations and they're just continuing to build and scale on top of that foundation. So it's like, you understand atoms then you understand what mass is then you understand what gravity is then you, you can understand how gravity relates to the space-time continuum right that's all irrelevant literally to what i am doing but it's the fact of like starting to build those those frameworks so that you can take that and apply it to what you do in your day-to-day -day, right so if you think about thinking like a scientist they're, they're really good at experimenting right and a lot of business, so if you want to apply first principles thinking to business, right? Well, you go, what's like the, the foundational thing of a business? Well, it's money. That's like the very bottom thing. Like you don't have a business if you don't have profit. Well, how do you get money, right? So like you build one layer on top of that. It's like, well, you need a product. You need, and that could be a service. You need something to offer. And then you need a way to distribute that offer. And those are the two things that like, if you have both of those, you can get money, right? Then it's like, you can build on top of that and you can keep like layering certain things on, right? And so it's yeah, like this, this thought of thinking from first principles, it's something that Elon Musk is really good at. And from a scientist perspective, like they're, they're always experimenting. They're always having hypotheses, testing those hypotheses, validating them or moving on to another one. And a lot of business, especially today, like pretty much everything, I guess, today is about just experimenting, iterating and pivoting fast. Like that's all it is. That's such a it's such an interesting framework uh, to go about life, because I mean, science is 
people think of science as like this one thing you probably study in school and then you don't think about it again. But taking it from this perspective, like that's something everybody could apply to their own life. Um, running experiments on yourself, iterating your routines, your systems, like how's this sleep pattern working for me? I'm going to try out this new one. I'm going to try to not use an alarm and see how it works for me. I'm going to try to wake up at 5 a.m., see which one works better. And then once you build from these base principles in all aspects of your life, like fitness, nutrition, sleep, health, once you get all the baseline covered, then you can work on the higher leverage tasks. And I love that analogy about like building from the start and building on top of it. It's, it's really interesting. And so another thing you said was the iterations. And I know I, I iterate a lot in my own personal life with my routines and systems. And I know you're a big systems guy. So can you explain to me and to everybody else, um, what is systems thinking? Like what type of systems do you use in your life? Yeah. Um, I think about my life in terms of like a business, right? Um, I mean, I'm 22 years old, about to turn 23. Like if I'm a startup, I'm in the early stage. I'm burning capital, all of that. But every business like needs standard operating procedures. And I think like a system allows you to capture a lot of value. Like you need a system to be able to excel in certain things. And, and kind of what I mean by that is like, if you create systems for everything you do, like, and you make them very visible, you can see each part of the system and you can see where certain bottlenecks happen in, in, in your life. So think about it from like a content creation perspective, right? Think about it from the, the perspective of like this podcast. Like first it starts with an idea and that's like the first input into the system. And then there's all these different things like you have to do to get this podcast like listed and out. Right. And like, right. that's the end, the end of the, the end of the system is like either publishing or it's, it's marketing or something. Right. Maybe it's publishing and then you have a whole different system for marketing, but either way, like each step in the system is like visible. If you, if you actually create some kind of machine, basically, um, and that allows you to get full visibility into it. So you can see where bottlenecks are. Like productivity is not these weird hacks or anything like that. It's just finding the kinks in the hose and unkinking them. So everything flows fluidly through your system, right? Does that make sense? No, it definitely does. And it's such a counterintuitive way of thinking because I've been caught up in this trap for a while, like adding all these different productivity hacks and like wearing blue light glasses and like not drinking coffee until this certain time and all these rules that we add on and they cause so much stress and they actually slow down our entire way of living. But you're talking about removing all these bottlenecks and removing all the things that are slowing you down, which is so interesting. And Alex Hormozy I'm a huge fan of him and he has a very interesting, similar perspective to that. Um, he's not a fan of all these big morning routines and like meditating and writing gratitude journals, um, which I personally kind of am, but I see the other side of it. He's like, all that is just holding you back from doing the work. He's like, I wake up and I sit down on my computer and I do the work and there's no dependency on any routine or anything because in his mind, that makes you weak and dependent. 
Um, now I think there's a balance to it. I think the mindfulness meditation journaling, like I love that type of stuff, but, um, yeah, it's such a counterintuitive approach to what most people think. So I wanted to, uh, yeah. It's interesting that you bring up like Hormozy's morning routine and like Alex Hormozy as a whole. So I guess I kind of have two points here. I'm experimenting with his morning routine right now. Mm-hmm. where it's literally just Dude, like same, wake up literally same and get to doing work as fast as possible um before i started experimenting with this like i had like a whole two hour morning routine now it's like 30 minutes um it's like 30 minutes and i'm like able to like do work and all of that i think i, I don't know how i feel about it but one thing that hormozy says uh which is interesting to the point of like thinking about unkinking the hose of your, of your systems and almost like taking a step back so that you can take two steps forward is like, he has this notion of working in the business versus working on the business. Right. So if you're, if you're thinking about your life in terms of a business, you're basically the founder of your life. Like everything a founder does is designing the business, designing the business models, all of that. And you're basically designing your life. So like I, I always compare everything to a business but you can't just keep trudging forward and work in the business day in day out most people when they work at nine to five like they show up at nine and they leave at five and like that's business hours and they're always working in the business which is why they have such a hard time like you know progressing forward or understanding like what satisfies them professionally like a lot of people are miserable at their job because they never spend the time to work on it, right? Like they never spend the time to strategize like what projects should I pitch myself to try and do? Like what, you know, what, where, where can I improve this system of my own life? Like where can I cut out a step and make it more simple? Where can I add a step to make it higher quality? Where can I do X, Y, Z? They never, because it's almost counterintuitive to take that step back and strategize Right. It's like necessary. Right. And I think, I think that's such an interesting point because I feel like most people go through life and I've been here, like they go through it, just getting by, like take the nine to five example, you clock in at nine, you're waiting until five to leave. And you never think about how can I get ahead instead of getting by? How can I advance my career rather than just go through the motions and then live for the weekend or something like that? Um, so it's so interesting to take a step back, reflect, how can I, how can I pivot? How can I move? I think it's so necessary to constantly do that, to take time, like maybe even every week, every month to reflect on like, what am I doing? Well, what can be, what can be changed? Um, and I loved, I love the example that you keep repeating of comparing your life to a business. I have a simple, fr- I have a similar framework, but I say I treat my life as like a video game. And you're the main character. Like, let's say you're playing GTA or something as a kid and you're in the first person point of view. If you can live your life like that, like where you are the main character, and I don't mean that in, in an egotistical way, like the world revolves around you, but your world is directly from your perception. It's you experiencing the world from the first person. Why not treat it as a video game? Why not try to add skills, level up, do cool things? I mean, I think it's such a cool way to look at life. That's kind of the way like Naval looks at it, right? And yeah. I, I feel like a lot of 
um, like I took a game theory course and I feel like a lot of life is very similar to the way game theory is like, it's just game theory is optimization, like of those games. Right. But you're just, you're basically just playing a ton of different games. I, I like the comparison of business though, because to me, like IPL of of my life is like retirement. Right. And the reason being is like, like corporations blow at innovation. They suck at innovation. So it's like when I IPO and I'm like public or like a corporation in my life, it's like, then I can just coast. Dude, that's such a counterintuitive approach because I mean, IPO from a stock lens, like if people aren't aware of uh, like investments or stock trading, IPO is initial public offering. It's when a business goes public to be publicly traded um, where anybody can buy shares of the business. And usually that's right when a business, like in the early stages of a business, after they've been private, now they go public. Um, but you said IPO for you is retirement, which most people see as the end goal. So are you seeing your retirement is like, that's when your life is beginning? Not necessarily beginning. Um, it's just like retirement. That's when you can do what you want. That's when you yeah. can play the game above outside the framework of the game if that makes yeah. sense yeah like, okay. like i mean when you're a business and you ipo like what else is there to work towards like you just you, it's just profitability and raising your market cap but there's not really like another like big milestone like maybe you want to get listed on a different stock exchange but like that's not necessarily like a massive achievement you know right so to me, like a lot of the fun though is in the initial like scaling. Like totally. a lot of the fun is like in in those like pre rounds that you're raising and like when you're burning capital and you're, you're establishing those systems and you're doing all of that versus when you kind of reach that that level of freedom. Because then it's like, well, yeah, it's great. You can explore whatever you want to explore, but like certain point like it kind of becomes unstimulating in my mind right because what are you working towards and i think like as humans that's what drives us like dopamine is not not when you reach the goal that's not when you're most you're feeling most fulfilled it's when you're in pursuit and i think it's so interesting that like your whole life is a pursuit of this eventual goal like which is retirement per se but once you hit that retirement and maybe that's retirement from a corporate job or it's retirement from you can't have, you don't have to have somebody telling you what to do. You're in control of your own time. Um, That's when you can work on whatever you feel like. And like, that's another Naval thing. It's like, once you can just work on things that feel like play, it's not even working anymore. And so with that being said, I kind of wanted to get more into Naval because that's something that we've talked about in the past. Um, So I'm sure you've read the Almanac of Naval. You've listened to all stuff, um, as have I. So what are some of your favorite topics from him? Like, what has stuck with you the most? Uh, the thing that's stuck with me the most is, uh, like, productize yourself. Okay. And I think, I think it's because I am, like, a product manager that that notion really stuck with me. But it's an interesting concept because – I don't think most people view themselves as a product, but we are. Like we're, we're all products of our environment, right? And 
why not focus on productizing yourself? Like you're, you're doing it right now with this podcast, you're productizing yourself. Um, and it, it really just scales what you're capable of. It scales your reach. It scales everything. So it's just like, it's also pretty cool to me because if you productize your specific self at a certain point, like you're potentially just going to get paid to be you. Exactly. And that's why the whole argument of building your own personal brand is so compelling. In the age of social media, your brand, if you put a name behind it and you put your own identity behind your brand, your accountability is through the roof. I mean, there's a lot of people on Twitter that like hide behind pseudonyms or like like pictures of like Greek gods or something. And they make all these like platitude tweets and people get hype about them. I, I do too. I mean, it's kind of cool. But um, <laughs> when, you're, when your own name is behind the content you're putting out, that's another layer of credibility. And then eventually, like you said, you get paid to be yourself. And Naval has a quote, another quote, it's... um keep refining what you do until you're the best in the world at it. And it, I find that so interesting because we are all so unique. I mean, we're all so similar, but at the same time, we're all a unique set of genetic code, a unique set of DNA. So what he means by that is you are the best in the world at something. Every single person on this planet is the best in the world at something. And that something is being themselves. But most people are afraid to find that true self. And it's obviously a process and it's very hard to figure that out. Um, but I, I, I love the whole productize yourself idea, dude. It's so it's so interesting. I don't think most people are afraid to like find that. I don't think people know where to start. I think okay, people want to. That's true. I think, I think there's an innate desire that people like, I mean, if you, if you, ask every person on this earth like do you want to be more self-aware like there's an, i don't think there's a single person that's gonna be like no i don't want to be more self-aware and if they do like that's just kind of weird but <laughs> right i think a lot of people like and a lot of people will consider themselves self-aware but they're really not it's just they don't know where they don't know how to do it they don't know how to properly introspect they don't know where to begin they don't know any of it so they just don't so where can somebody start? To increase your self-awareness. Yeah, or just um, to start to to start to productize yourself in general or just start to maybe increase your value, your own personal brand. Yeah. Um I guess like the first thing is is auditing the content you're consuming. Like if you're just if you're just mind-numbingly scrolling through TikTok watching, you know, 15-year-olds dance, like how are you ever gonna produce a quality product? Like then after after auditing your content and consuming higher quality content, a lot of it comes down to like your ability to contextualize that content. And that's where like a system comes in. It's like, how can you build a system to act as a support or backbone to your creativity? Like your mind is for having ideas and creating, not for storing them. So 
when you can build a proper like content system, then it's it, it's kind of like this rinse and repeat of like consume, contextualize, like create, consume, contextualize, create, and you just are almost looping that. Right, and, and, then, and where most people fall off is like they don't even get past the first step because every most 99% of people on social media are just there to consume the content, which is fine. But once you start creating and once you start auditing that content you're consuming, which is, that's probably the first step for me that started this whole journey was like unfollowing all the accounts that weren't benefiting me. Like it's that simple. And once you're social, you can like use these social media algorithms to your advantage because okay, maybe they are social programming us. Maybe they do have, they have hacked our psychology. Um, but like, okay, like let's use that to our advantage. You can't live without it today. So it exactly. doesn't matter. Like people want to be like, oh, screw, you know, screw Facebook. Like, like social media is so toxic, X, Y, Z. It's like, you literally can't live without it. Like, yes, you can delete social media for a few months, but you're always going to download it back. So at this yeah. point, it's like there, there is no escaping it. So you, you just kind of have to create. I totally agree with that. And I went on that side of things last year, I would say. I watched The Social Dilemma on Netflix and it freaked mm-hmm. me out so much. Um that I deleted Snapchat, Instagram, Twitter for months. And it was actually like a really good time because it allowed me to introspect a lot. But then once you, I think the the key thing to distinguish is distinguishing social media as either good or bad. And you can frame that in your mind. Like if you're consuming content that people are arguing on Twitter about politics or all this shit that you can't control, like, yeah, social media is bad. But if you're using it to connect and network and meet super interesting people and put out your own content and build a personal brand and try to become free from a nine to five job, like then it's good. So it's all about how you frame it. I think, I think um, from the framing perspective, like the way I've framed social media in my mind is that it's just a probability thing. And what I mean by that is like, for example, today, I just met someone for coffee before this from Twitter. What are the probabilities? The dude's super interesting. But what are the probabilities that like organically outside of social media, I met him? You know, pretty yes. minimal. But social media allows you, if you use it correctly, to curate your connections with people based on certain criteria i like that kind of sounds bad when you think about it like but like it's not it's not like that right like okay so if i gave you a scenario where i was like was like here's a million dollars go buy a business and i was like but like buy a business that meets these criteria, right the the founder is a baby boomer they're about to retire the business operates in this industry it makes X amount of revenue per year. Like, and the, the more filters I start putting on what you're able to buy, like if you had to go out into the world and just find that, do you know how many businesses you'd have to walk into? Like, you know how many like, things you'd have to do to like find that business? It would be a lot, but 
if you use social media and you leverage it, it's basically just like you can put quick filters on and find it almost like immediately. True, because you can find such like-minded people that you might not be able to in real life. And I think that's a positive and a negative because let's say like you're in the personal growth or fitness space and you're surrounded by a lot of people in your real life who aren't very healthy or into fitness and it makes it harder for you to get consistent with the gym, like become educated about nutrition, et cetera. You hop on social media with all these people doing it and you it's so much easier because now you have a community of people. But I also think with any positive, there's also a negative. And when you're just surrounding yourself with like-minded people, like that is a recipe for disaster in some cases, especially like with politics um, and echo chambers being created. And then you don't hear a diversity of opinions. And then you just think you're right, you're right, they're wrong. So I think there are pros and cons to it. But if you're using if you're using social media in a way to grow yourself rather than to demonize others, I think overall it's a good thing. And another thing you said that was interesting was like it's basically filtering. Like this is what I thought of. I was like, in our real lives, with the people we're with in our real lives, we're so bounded by geography. Like we can only connect in real life with the people in our immediate town or city or college or job or whatever it's, it's not necessarily geography like if you actually analyze a lot of your relationships um a lot of them are just like you're just friends because of common association so like it's just like you know you like you go to northwestern you live in chicago it's like well most of your friends not that it's necessarily like a bad thing or not right but just like as an example like they're, they're they go to northwestern right and and it's like well there's thousands of other people in the city of chicago but like i i would pretty much bet all of your friends go to northwestern and that's just because like there's a common association right and it's the same it's the same way like everywhere it's like your friends in high school yeah like the scope of who's your age is like different when you're in high school but like that's still just like only friends from association maybe you had a friend from another school like outside of your area but i, I know growing up like it's so I didn't. rare yeah. yeah and social media re- removes all these barriers yeah you have access to anybody like we're hopping on a call we're only like a year or two apart i believe like you're 22 right mm-hmm. okay and i'm 21 so like we're pretty close in age but i've connected with kids on Twitter starting their own businesses that are like 14 years old. And I've also connected with people on Twitter who are like 55 years old and getting into the social media game, like getting into the fitness game. And it's like, you have access to so many different types of people through this. And it's all about how you use it. Um, Yeah. So I think that's such an interesting topic. I wanted to get into a bit more of what you do um, in your day to day right now. So you're a, a product manager and for somebody who doesn't know exactly like what that looks like on a day-to-day including myself like can you explain explain more of like what you do what's the company you work for just give a little more context there yeah it's okay because my my parents don't even know what the hell i do my own girlfriend oh. doesn't doesn't get it so <laughs> okay well they can listen to this podcast <laughs> and find out i'm like constantly sending them articles like hey this is a product manager but they, yeah. I still don't think they understand it. Um, so to give you like context, I guess I'll start with the company that I work for um, and what, what my startup 
it's not mine, but the startup that I work for, like what they they do, right? So we're a one point five, like a a billion and a half dollar uh startup, and it's AI. So we use natural language processing uh, to basically automate the top of a recruiting funnel. So it goes from everything from capture, so capturing the initial information a candidate might have to like up to onboarding and automating the scheduling of interviews, like uh, questions, all of it, right? Uh, so that's kind of what we do. We operate in two different markets. Our main like use case comes down to hourly and like franchise. So if you apply to a McDonald's, like you're using our product, uh, mm. basically end to end. We're doing the entire end to end process for hourly and franchise. And then from a professional standpoint, like uh, they're, they're just using bits and pieces of our product and plugging it. They're plugging parts of it into their hiring system. Okay. And so as a product manager, you are in charge of and helping with building these products. Is that correct? Yeah. So knowing kind of what the use case is then, like my job is to come in and own a product line. Uh, since I, I've recently like just started, like I work with a team that owns a product line, but I'm assigned to like a specific product line. And my job is to like, build out different enhancements, you know, um, and, and basically solve problems. My job is a problem finder and a problem solver. So, you know, someone has an issue and they report it, right? And it's usually like, hey, we would love to be able to do this or like we need to be able to do this or um, it would be great if the system, like the, the product did this. Well, nine times out of 10, like they think they know what the answer is, but like they don't actually, like it's not actually the answer. Like they're requesting something, but it's caused by a deeper root of like deeper root problem. Because they don't know the actual problem that they're solving. They're misinterpreting the problem. Yeah. And so you, I, I read so, your LinkedIn bio and it was like problem finder. And usually yeah. people are problem solvers. So you're solving the problems from, you're figuring out what the problems are from the beginning and then creating the solution on top of that. Yeah, so say, okay. um, so say like, say you were like, it would be great if Zoom had, you know, this feature. It'd be great if Zoom had it so that I could save the chat as a PDF. Well, yeah, like that might, be your problem is that like you want to save the chat as a pdf but there's probably a root behavior or root cause that's like causing you to want to save that as a pdf mm -hmm. so if i can figure out what the behavior is like why why are you requesting this why do you want this feature right is it so that you could save this as a pdf and you can take the chat and you can upload it to you know Google Drive and share the chat with other people. Like, okay, so maybe your behavior is like, you want to share the chat with other people outside of the Zoom call. Well, now I can build some kind of product or some kind of enhancement into my, into Zoom that allows you to share that chat with other people. And I just created a scalable solution, right? 
Like I just changed your behavior, streamlined your behavior and removed a whole step from what you had to do to achieve your outcome that you wanted. It's fascinating stuff because like you're going so far deep into the root problem. You have to dig through the answers that people have in their own heads and get to the real root cause when they, they might not even know what the problem actually is themselves. And so you're constantly questioning. You're constantly thinking deeper. Why, why, why? And I think it's so, I mean, I think it's such a parallel to like your outlook on systems and your outlook on the world because you're always looking to iterate. You're always looking to experiment and upgrade. So yeah, so it, I, I love it, dude. It's so interesting. To kind of like loop back the physics of everything, right? It's like, yeah. if you want to build great products or like you want to build things that are actually useful and like valuable to people, like you almost have to think of them from first principles. Right. Yeah, that's, it's such a counterintuitive way to think about it, but it is really cool. And so I want to ask this question, like what got you into prod product management in the first place? Like, how did you know that this is what you wanted to get into? I didn't even know this existed until like a year and a half ago. Okay. I didn't know this was a, like a, a field at all. Uh, my first internship, I did program management or like product project management over product management. It's, it's, it rhymes, right? But like um, a lot of product management is like fast iterations, very agile lean, right? Program or project management is typically for like waterfall approaches. So my first job was like, my first professional job was program management and it's a manufacturing company that produced like car parts. Uh, so you think like eight mile, the massive like machine presses, all of that. Like yeah, it was yeah. my job to manage that process, make that process efficient and like get the end product to the customer. And this is project management? Yeah. Okay. So you're project managing a project product. basically. Yeah. Um, so I liked that, but I didn't like, like manufacturing is not sexy, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, like, yeah. What do you do? Like, you're like, oh, like I, I, I'm a project manager and I, I manage, you know, the panel for a, a Tesla. Like, mm-hmm. it's not sexy. And in my mind, like those, especially like given how like the economies work, like most of those jobs are going overseas. So it's like, how sustainable is it for right. long term? Like with globalization, it's not, it's not. So I switched to sales and I did sales for a while. Um, and I, I did sales at like, I think three different companies. And I, that was when I eventually got into startups and I did sales for a sales prospecting tool. Um, it's also like an, another AI company. And that's like when I was like, it's like, oh, like AI is a massive thing right? I was like, this is huge. Like, this is going to be like game changing. And I leveraged that experience to start really learning a lot about AI. And at the time, like my goal was always VC. It's all I wanted to do. I thought I was going to be in VC when I graduated from school. Um, Mm. So I got into an early stage VC fund uh, my junior year of college. And Mm. They were investing in AI, like seed through series B uh, with like series A being, you know, the top of the bell curve. And it was, it was everything I 
imagined it to be. But I realized, and it's like something Naval talks about, right? Is like, there's a difference between knowledge and judgment. And as I'm sitting there evaluating companies, it's like, my boss would be like, after a pitch, what do you think? Like, what do you think of this company? I'm like, this is great. Like, they're like, you know, they're building this company's doing things that I didn't even know were possible because you're looking at like some of the most innovative companies in the world. Um, majority of companies don't go to raise venture capital. And so the ones that do are like, they're really trying to like disrupt an industry. Like they're trying to, you know, um, drive value that isn't there and capture that value. So every company to me, I'm like, this is sick. This is yeah. awesome. But my boss who had that judgment was like, no, like that's a good, it's a good company. It's not a great company. And, you know, I started to start to apply that and see like, okay, what actually makes these companies great? And at the end of the day, it's their product. The business shit can all be sorted out. Like, but if you don't have a product, your business is built on horrible foundation. So then it was like, all right, how can I, because ultimately like, I want to go back to venture capital. I want to be in that industry when I'm like later on in my career. So I'm like, how do I build the judgment so that I have, I have that knowledge? Well, it's like, you just go work in product. So then it, then it was like, all right, if I want to be working around products, so I understand a lot more about them. Well, I don't have a computer science background. So how do I work around, you know, AI and other SaaS products? And it a product manager like made the most sense because you don't actually have to code. Like you're not coding. You just need to understand conceptually how engineering works. Like how computer, like computer engineering works so that you can, you know, incorporate that in. So it was like the closest thing I could get to actually like, because in my mind, like a software engineer, like that's like constructing the product, right? Like you're writing the code so that uh, a piece of software actually works. And this is like the closest thing I can get to building the product. So it's kind of how I ended up here. I just kind of reverse engineered. Uh, what my end goal was and how I needed to build the judgment for my end goal. I'm learning a ton right now. And I, there's a lot in there that maybe flew a bit over my head, but <laughs> I, I, I think I get the general outline and I love how like every step in your journey led you to the next step. Like doing sales, I'm sure got you, made you start thinking about things from the consumer side rather than the product side. And now you can use that in your product management job because you're not just thinking about like the product. You're thinking about how is this affecting the consumer who's using the product. And it's this like counterintuitive way of thinking, kind of like everything else we were talking about. Um, so dude, it, it seems like you're on a, you're on a sick journey right now. Um, and I'm curious, like, in the next five years or so, like, what are your, what are your goals for like the immediate future, the long-term future? And also 
I guess maybe tie into there, like, what are you trying to do on social media exactly? Like, how does how does Twitter factor into all of this? Yeah, <laughs> um, I'll start with Twitter, I guess. So, kind of back to the initial conversation we had, where it's like, you kind of just can't escape social media. You might as well create on it, right? You have a few options, and I decided to like go all in on Twitter because you have to start on one and you just focus on one and grow and scale there. Twitter is unique compared to all the other social medias because it's the fastest feedback loop you can create. Uh, if you want to post on Instagram, you have to edit a photo or like you have to take a photo. Like you say, okay, I could literally just take a photo of my, my computer and publish that on Instagram. Nobody wants to see that though. It's going to be ridiculously hard to grow an audience by just taking that photo and uploading it. If people wanted to see that, like Snapchat stories would be like, you could grow an audience through Snapchat stories, but obviously you can't really do that. Um, and so Instagram, cross that out. TikTok, it's like, you have to actually edit a whole ass video. So cross that out, right? Like it, the time to production is a lot. So that basically leaves like LinkedIn and Twitter. And LinkedIn, you have to post longer form content. Twitter, you're confined to 100 or 280 words. So cross out LinkedIn, right? It serves to build conciseness. It makes my overall writing like more concise, um, which is a, an incredible skill to have. You can take like, it literally forces you to take complex things and simplify them down. Then, you know, and 280 characters, I can publish a piece of content. It could literally be two sentences. And now I'm collecting data in a feedback loop based on that. Like how many people are liking it? How many impressions is it getting? You know, how many people are retweeting it? And I can take that data and leverage it to make other decisions on creation. And it's the, it's literally just the fastest feedback loop for overall content creation. You're thinking about it like a scientist. It's the exact same thing. It's like, <laughs> I'm running, I'm running these experiments. Like every tweet is an experiment. Basically. And then you're analyzing the data and then seeing what works and what doesn't. And then you keep iterating. And, and so I think, I, I, I think part of that is, is why I've grown. So like, like my, my growth is like step ups, right? Yeah is it's like, I need to re not necessarily rebrand, but I need to work on some of rewording some of my branding because I just doubled my following. So now I need to take all of that data that I've collected over the last month and refine. But my goal with Twitter um, for the next five years, sorry, I kind of riff also. <laughs> um, oh, okay. Is I really want to use Twitter to like build an audience for a distribution network, mm -hmm. right? So it's like, again, you kind of need money first, like a business is profit. And then like the kind of next step up between that and the simplest terms is like, you need distribution and you need a product. And I'm learning product like every day with my job. So I might as well build the distribution so that, you know, it's almost two roads diverge so that eventually I can, bring them back together and have the whole like synergy between the two areas that I'm, I'm learning and building.
I love how you're thinking about this. It's such a counter, it's another counterintuitive way. Most people think like I need to build a product and then I'll find who to sell it to. But like, if you, I've heard, a, I heard a quote, I don't know who said it, but it was like, build distribution, then build whatever you want. So if you build this following on Twitter and then you build a product and then you're going to, you're going to have this experience, experience actually being in product in your day life, you already have the distribution built through your Twitter. And so you're yeah. doing both steps at the same time. It's, it's, it's really an interesting way to look at things. And it sounds like you've really thought all this through a lot as well. So it's like interesting because I've gone back and forth, like to your point of like, you know, build the distribution and then you can build whatever you want. I've gone back and forth. I personally think a product is the most important thing to a business. Like, I think your product should sell itself. It should be so good it sells itself, but it never will. It doesn't matter if you have the best product in the world. If yeah. nobody can find it, nobody will use it. You'll never make right. money on it, anything. So then it's like, well, is distribution the most important thing? I genuinely don't know. I think I fall on the boat of like, product is the most important thing. But without distribution, you don't have a product. Like, you don't have a business. Well, maybe they're not mutually exclusive. I think you need, you, you obviously need both. I've seen businesses that have incredible distribution networks and horrible products, right? I sell you on my product or my service and then I never deliver the value that I sold you on. I still took your money. I made money, but you're going to churn. Like when exactly. you think about long-term scalability, like it, you're going to make money, but you're never going to like, you're always going to be like grasping. You're never going to be holding the value. Yes. And that, that comes with making your product as good as possible, because if you're making your product as good as possible, you're delivering the most value you can to the consumer. Like that's what makes Apple so incredible is like people are going to keep buying Apple products. I don't, I can't see a time when I'm going to stop buying an iPhone or a Mac or an iPad or AirPods. Like, the products are so good that the consumers keep buying. But if you half-ass your product, yeah, maybe you can sell people on it once through marketing and through sales. But they're like you said, they're going to churn. And you're not going to have that lifetime value um, as the entrepreneur. So, dude, we're, we're coming up on about an hour here. So I think, I, I think it's probably a decent time to head off. But um, if you wanted to say any last words for like, if anybody's out there that's interested in getting into, uh, in, 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 into getting into like product, let's say I was, I was going to go back and forth between Twitter or product, but maybe we'll do both. Like how can somebody get involved in Twitter? How can somebody start getting involved in product management? Twitter's easy. You just click the plus button in the bottom, right? And write 180 characters. <laughs> Many people make it a lot harder than it needs to be. I think you're so right. But for some reason, overcoming that social anxiety of like pressing the publish button, like that is a big step for a lot of people. So you, you don't think you have anything to write about until you force yourself to write. It's as simple as that. Like when, when you just commit to writing for X amount of period on Twitter or any content platform, like you don't think you have anything to create until you just create. Like mm -hmm. you'll realize that you have a lot more interest and you have a lot more things to say when you're forced to say them. Mm -hmm. Okay. I like that. And then let's say for somebody who's interested in product. Um, 
I would start by just like networking with, with product managers and actually like, Twitter is the best place to do that. Um, as opposed to like LinkedIn. Uh, but I guess like a really good book that I would recommend, um, and I'll stay away from like the cliche ones is read, read the product book by uh, product school. Most people would recommend a book like inspired or something along those lines, but the product book is pretty much covers end to end process of product creation. So even if you don't want to be a product manager, like if you read that book, you'll understand a little bit more about how you create minimal viable products, like how you validate solutions, how you can collect data, all of it. So. Okay. I'm definitely going to check that out. I think it'd be really cool to have that perspective. I, I took your book suggestions last time we talked pretty seriously and I bought, I bought a bunch of the ones that you told me about. Um, I'm still like working through getting through them, but um, I bought like the the seven basic laws of physics or whatever. Um, so I'm excited yeah. to start, to start thinking like a scientist. That's, that's my, that's, that's my not, one takeaway. That I can't take credit for that though. Like that's just Naval. I've, I've just like worked well, through Naval's reading list in the back of uh, the, the Yes. Like almanac of Naval Ravikant. Yes, same here. I'm I'm working through it. I ordered like half of those books. <laughs> I and it's gonna take a while to get through them, but like whatever that guy says, like I I take it very seriously. So again, like we're all products of our environment. So if you audit your consumption and you're like, I want to be, you know, if you want to be anybody or you look to anybody as a role model, like just figure out what they're consuming and then consume that yourself. Exactly. <laughs> That's the easiest way to audit your consumption. And like, so Naval is someone that I think has a very good perspective and outlook on everything just as far as like the human condition goes. So it's like, I want to consume what he's consuming so I can adopt some of those with my own unique perspective. I love that dude. And it ties it up perfectly, like with the name of this podcast, Modern Mentorship, because I mean, I'm sure to you and I, like, I feel this way, at least like, even though I've never met Naval, I don't know if I'll ever meet Naval. He doesn't know I exist. He is a mentor to me through these other mediums, through his book, through the book, through podcasts, through interviews on YouTube. And you can take what these people say so seriously through the internet and it allows anybody to mentor anybody else even if the mentor doesn't even know that the mentee exists um mm -hmm. so i love it dude i think we're gonna end with that thank you for coming on i appreciate it um real quick where can people find you on social media yeah it's just uh noah zender uh z-e-n-d-e-r all one word um if anybody wants to connect there's a calendly in my bio i i just have time on there they just talk to people and help in any way I can so awesome and I'll, I'll make sure to drop that link down um in the in the show notes so anyways dude thank you for coming on it was awesome talking to you I learned a ton so appreciate it man of course thank you for having me